Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute and part of the Christians for Liberty Network. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I'm joined by two guests, Jeff Reddick and Nelson Hicks, who are hosts of the Silver Screen Biases podcast, where every two weeks they sit down to discuss a critically acclaimed movie and the truth claims made within it. And they wrestle with their own biases and they analyze the biases of Hollywood. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me. Our pleasure. This is awesome. So let's start by introducing yourselves. Give us your names because there's three of us for listeners. We want to make sure they know who's talking when we're doing that. So one of you go first name yourself and tell me how'd you become a libertarian so this is nelson here i've always had a bit of a reject authority streak in me my dad defines himself as a small liberal for most of my life i grew up in canada so small liberal is their term for libertarian through high school my dad says i was a socialist in high school i don't remember it that way but i trust him and it was really more right after high school i realized that my strong political values and my religious values didn't always see eye to eye. So for three to four years, I stripped away all politics. I just focused on, I want sound doctrine, sound theology. Mm-hmm. And then after that time, I came back to politics and a lot of my politics hadn't really changed, but they'd become more nuanced and better reflected the gospel. And the more I learn and understand, I've over time become not just a libertarian, but an anarcho-capitalist. And I'm more and more convinced of how consistent that is with sound doctrine. Hmm. Jeff? Yeah, my name is Jeff Reddick. I don't adhere to the libertarian label, but like since Nelson and I started this podcast, like I've been very open to the conversations and stuff. And like we've, I've learned a lot. Like it's not just because I disagree with the libertarians. It's just, I just didn't really grow up in a house where politics was on the forefront. And when I went off on my own, it wasn't really something I was pursuing. So like for me, it's like, I'm not, I'm kind of coming into this new era of like, what do I believe? What mm. outside of my faith in Jesus and in what I believe theologically, like I'm kind of discovering what I believe when it comes to politics and when it comes to government and that stuff. So like, I don't know what, how to describe myself, but like I'm, but I'm open to healthy, honest, respectful discussions with people that see the same things as me and see things differently than me, but learning how to live life together with people. I don't know if I explained mm-hmm. that well, but like, yeah, no, it's good. How we've also regularly defined it in our show is, Jeff is sympathetic to libertarian ideas. I'm obviously much more radical than most people, right? As an anarchist. But Jeff is a little more convinced of a legitimacy and reason to have government and governance. But he's very much sympathetic to libertarian ideas. Very aware of the flaws that are currently in place. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. As much as he's not a libertarian, he's also not a conservative, (laughs) a liberal, a Republican, progressive, Democrat, any of those other terms. We talked about this recently in an episode. This episode that's coming out. Well, I don't know when this episode's airing, but like when we did Full Metal Jacket, yeah, we talked a lot about things that I agree with politics and things I disagree with and stuff like. And recently, just with what's being shown in media and what I'm watching and observing, I don't like any of it. So like, I just like I have a hard time when a person gets up and says something, something, something. Like I just have a hard time going like, okay, but what are you really saying? Mm. Like so like I try to assume the best in people and I try to. Put not all my hope, but I, I try to put faith that the people that are leading this country are putting their best foot forward. But 
in the end, it's really difficult to do that, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. It yeah. really is. And, and it's any party at this point, just like when I think of political Washington, D.C. businesses, capitals, anything like that, I always go, yeah, there's probably something we're not knowing. Mm-hmm. Or like just at the very least. Yeah. So I just. So you got the cynical part down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That part He's you got down. There. He's halfway there, Doug. <laughs> oh, dude. I think the cynicism is like one of the, I mean, that's like, you're like 80% there, man. Like <laughs> the rest is just the ability to look at what's being said to you. And I realize what I'm somewhat describing is just basically being red pilled, even if you don't end up being quote unquote a libertarian. But yeah. the ability to kind of look at what is being told to you, what is being fed to you, what is being asked of you, not just yep. in terms of behavior, but also in terms of please believe us. Believe us when we tell you that we have your best interest at heart. We have words for that that are not for the show. And yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's very easy once you realize you can call it when you hear it. It's like, okay, well, now what are my moorings? Where do I, what do I grasp onto to say, okay, I know why Mitch McConnell is full of it. And I also know why Debbie Wasserman Schultz is full of it. And Kamala Harris or whomever it might be, pick anybody on the spectrum and even alleged libertarians, depending on, I mean, a lot of them aren't in federal government, but we're not going to name names, but you know who you are. (laughs) Well, and and again, not everybody's perfect, of course, but you know when to call and it's like, well, what am I basing this on? Just my gut? Just my, I don't like it when people are dishonest to me. And so when you realize that you have to do that and you can't just trust your government, which nobody should, at least not by default, then in my mind, it opens up to be able to critique the state and to critique things from a consistent outlook. And one that, especially if you're a Christian, you realize if you read the scriptures that there's on the one hand, this push for and very deep thread of community and doing things together and being in solidarity with one another. And then also the critique of the state and also the critique of empire and also the critique of power and violence. And the only way that I've learned to reconcile that both of those work through their way through scripture is libertarianism. At least that's for me. I would say that. Early on, I tried to identify who would be some unicorn guests for us. Yeah. I was looking at the top 250, scrolling through, saying like, okay, what movies here? Who would be perfect for this? And for me, of course, I know Jeff's not big in libertarian circles, but for me, I'm, yet. <laughs> I'm thinking like big names. And I came across The Prestige and I was like, oh, would Doc Dixon come on for The Prestige? I pitched it to him. Sure enough, he would. Our side of the audio for that was brutal. <laughs> oh, and no. I worked hard to clean it up yeah, the best wow. I could. But man, did he carry that episode. That's, that's a terrific episode. He is a fun guy. Like That was a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting because I was looking through your list of podcast episodes, mm-hmm. and I will tell you this, on my show, Norman sometimes fills in for topics that he's a little bit more adept in, like if they're really, really going to be science-based or if they're going to yeah. be Star Wars-based. And most mm-hmm. recently, okay. we have the one that's on Star Wars, and yeah. I haven't watched Andor yet. <laughs> and for me, I do enjoy Star Wars. I have not watched everything I enjoy them as just, this was fun to watch. I don't follow if I can get Star Wars jokes when people say things, but you start talking about references and cross shows and stuff, I'm out. So I haven't listened to that episode and I probably can't listen to your episode on The Prestige because you have spoiler alerts. How do you guys deal with that? If I mean, maybe that's why you sometimes choose movies that are you need to have watched them by now if you're in 2023. The most recent movie we've done so far is 2015's Inside Out. 
Yeah. So like at this point, like we don't even really care about spoilers because if it's been seven years and you haven't seen this movie, you're not going to watch it tomorrow. Like, but also in the top <laughs> two fifty, you've got both Avengers Endgame. Correct. And there are newer movies that we'll be getting to, and there is some recency bias actually with the top two fifty. But kind of our approach has been, we're going to be talking about what the movie tells us is true, and it's impossible to do that without talking about what's in the movie. Yeah. So our expectation is that our listeners either have watched the movie and interacted that way, watched the movie first. And we have a lot of listeners that won't listen to the episode until they've seen it. Right. Yeah. And then we have other listeners that they don't care. They don't mind being spoiled. So we put the spoiler alert in the show notes and that's, we yeah. leave that up to the audience. Have you heard from some of your audience on like what you choose to release is their like movie list for the week? So early on when we, when we were pitching this to friends, and I said that we're doing off the top 250. People are like, why? The top 250 is terrible. <laughs> like we have film critic friends that are just like, no, there's way better movies that aren't on the top 250. And we don't disagree. Some like, of the top 250 is trash. And we totally agree. Yeah. The reason we did it is so that we can wash our hands of responsibility. <laughs> Wait, and there's many movies that neither of us have seen yet. And yeah. like, like we just we, did Citizen Kane. We just didn't want to start picking movies that we both like. like so yeah. we put the top 250 on a spreadsheet and then, most of the episodes, they've been randomly generated. Yeah. And we're just go, okay, this week we're watching this. Like, like if we get beyond episode 250, we may have to switch up how we decide our movies and stuff, but like, we've got a ways Dream to go. But like, yeah. But like, um, <laughs> we just wanted a way to where like, we weren't biasly picking our movies. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the IMDb 250 is the most well-known list of movies. For whatever reason, these movies have had cultural staying power. They've resonated with people in such a way that they've earned yeah. a spot there. Whether you agree with their spot there or not, enough people believe that this movie is of exceptional quality. And it's our assumption, and I think so far we've been proven right, that these movies speak to something about the human experience, right? Mm -hmm. It was either the first or second movie, I can't remember which, that we covered was A Clockwork Orange, and it's come up every episode since. Sometimes it's become we a trope. <laughs> yeah, it's become a trope. We, sometimes we shoehorn it in, and other times it comes up organically. But we've had to watch movies that for us were very difficult to watch, difficult to digest, but like they stay with you and they... They have a weight to them. They have a weight to them and they tap into something true. Well, yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest trends we've noticed is that in a lot of these movies, a common theme is a search for identity, a search for place in the world. And that's just something that we as Christians believe can only come from one place in a fulfilling way. And I think that's why so many of these movies resonate with so many people is that they're just, they don't have that. Right. Yeah. When I was growing up, movies were basically a source of entertainment and mm -hmm. it was a, it was an escape. It was a taboo to watch movies that had content that was not necessarily always rated R, but like the adult content, usually sexual content and profanity. Because I grew up in a pretty conservative household. And mm -hmm. as parents, you don't want your kids to see that. I mean, I'm a parent now of two teenagers and someone younger. And thankfully, the younger one sort of tempers what we watch as a family because she's not able to handle it. So it's like, oh, well, that's easy for my older two. They're going to end up watching things that are slightly more appropriate. Right. That maybe doesn't push them in terms yeah. of their mental capacity and maturity. And so when I went away to college, I don't know if a lot of listeners even know this about me. I went to Bible college and one of the programs that I entered the program thinking I would be like going to some sort of like full-time ministry. Okay. I guess now with LCI, I'm doing part-time ministry, but, <laughs> but 
more like in a pastoral role, that kind of thing. And sure. my experience of that was more about teaching and preaching and that. And mid-college, they actually introduced a communications program that one of them was drama and the other was journalism. And I chose the drama one because they also offered some film electives. Nice. And there was about four or five of us who were really into filmmaking. And this was back in the like VHS capture days or like <laughs> mini VHS or not mini. Yeah. Mini DV, I guess what it was. Sure. And so we would make, I mean, I made a short film when I was a senior. It was like 11 minutes long. I actually still have it. I have it on my computer. I was able to transfer it from many years ago. But I say all that to say I had to adjust to film being more than entertainment. And I think a lot of Christians have this view that because it's entertainment, it's not important mm -hmm. or only rarely is a movie that socially important. Yeah. Recent example would be 2022 Top Gun Maverick. Everybody watched it, loved it. I haven't heard a single person say they didn't like it. It's in the top 250. Okay. So, <laughs> and I seriously, I mean, I even watched the first one like when I was a kid. I didn't really remember a whole lot of it. I remember basics. I remember as a kid, they said GD a lot yeah. in it. And I just remember being sensitive to that. And I just, I, maybe I didn't finish watching it or I just remember that, right? It stood right. out to me. They didn't do that in the second film. But I watched it before we saw Top Gun Maverick. I saw the first one and I was like, this is terrible. And then we watched <laughs> Top Gun Maverick and I was like, this is so amazing. This is so great. And anyway, my point is, People know how to identify a good movie that's clean, fun, and some people don't care how clean it is, but clean, fun, you walk out and you're just like, wow, that was cool, right? It didn't depress me. It didn't challenge me. It didn't challenge my political views. I mean, we could talk about the military industrial complex's use of Top Gun Maverick's popularity, but watch Theaters of War, an excellent documentary on that. Yeah. And so all that to say... Did you guys experience a similar shift where movies were entertainment and I had to think of them more as films, to use that sort of term? Not yet. The short answer is not yet. When Nelson and I were talking about this podcast, I kind of made a rule for myself, too. I was like, I've always grown up loving movies. And, and I grew up pretty conservative. So and, you know, until getting into my adult age and getting out of the houses, like, there was a lot of movies I hadn't seen for the first time and stuff. So, like, I made a rule. Was like, because like, my wife and I go to the movies all the time. Like We're always watching the new blockbusters that are coming out and stuff. And, I was like, if this podcast ever gets me to a point to where I'm not enjoying the film for entertainment purposes, and now I've become just, I don't even know how to, what I would describe like a snob. A snob. And now I'm just like analyzing yeah. it and I'm leaving the theater. It never happy when I leave the theater. Like, I was like, I got to quit the podcast. Like, I, I said that before we even started. It's like, yeah. so for me, it's first and foremost, was I entertained? And we mm. actually, when we end our podcast, like, we kind of talk about this. Like, did you enjoy it? Did you yeah. enjoy the like, Did you enjoy the movie? Were you, would you recommend it? So there's a lot of them top 250 that we've covered so far. We're, we've been doing this about six months now. And there's several movies that like critically acclaimed movies. And Jeff and I were both like, nah, that wasn't fun. Didn't enjoy it. <laughs> mm, yeah. But in the reverse though, because out of these movies that we're watching specifically for the podcast, I am watching them through a different lens. Mm -hmm. And I am going, okay, what are they saying to me? Not just what are they doing for me? Yeah. And I have, I will say like, even some movies that like Inside Out, I've seen a million times. And actually, this is probably the only one on the list right now that we've done that I've watched multiple times already. But like, yeah, yeah. What's the deeper impact? And I'm not normally asking that question when I go to the movie theater and I watch Black Panther, I watch Ant Man, or I watch even Top Gun. Like, like, like I just go to like, I just want popcorns, my pop, and let's just watch a movie. Like, yeah, I've yeah. never got into a movie theater with those thoughts. We are first and foremost movie likers. Yes, we want to be entertained. Yeah, 
But we also recognize that all forms of art are trying to communicate something. Correct. And even if it's just entertainment, they're still communicating something. And we want to, we as individuals want to be more intentional about recognizing that. Right. And also we want to encourage our audience to do the same. There's kind of a dual purpose to filmmaking or a dual, I wouldn't say purpose, but dual phenomenon going on. And one is you're able to sit in a theater and watch something and potentially be entertained because someone wants to make money off of you. And there's somebody who wants the filmmaker, the director, the person creating the film, not just producing the film or the distribution company. They're the ones who are wanting to create something, right? And sometimes those roles overlap. Like Steven Spielberg, he does everything, right? (laughs) Except everything but acting. But, (laughs) But I don't even know if he's even ever done a cameo that I'm aware of. But in any case, you've got a dual purpose there. And so there is a filmmaker there wanting to make some sort of statement, even if it's Absolutely. pretty benign, even if it's very, very trivial. I mean, yep. you think of all the Happy Madison movies that are out there, right? Yeah. Like the ones that I remember one that actually really moved me. It was animated and it was like, gosh, 2002, 2003 with Adam Sandler. And it's like, an Adam Sandler movie moved you? You know, like there's, you can be surprised by the yeah. entertainment. Was that Crazy Nights? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, which, uh, you know, it was the animated Christmas one. Is that what it was? Yeah, Eight Crazy, Crazy Nights. Nights. Yeah. Is that yeah. what it was? I couldn't remember We're the pop name. culture buffs. Yeah, so. say, that's <laughs> the only animated movie he's done. Yeah, that I could yeah. think of. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Tra- Hotel Transylvania. All oh, those. that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny. You actually knew what I meant just, yeah. just by basically me describing it slightly. Yeah. <laughs> We're, We're pop culture nerds. That's kind of. Yeah. So we go to church together and we bonded over movies and we're like, well, that's cool. Let, let's make something of this. Yeah. So. I know you recently talked about this on a fairly recent episode, but what do you guys make of critics' scores, audiences' scores? I realize that you shunned your responsibility by just picking the 250 list. I get that. Right. But when it comes to like either going to a movie, renting it, streaming it, whatever, look up what are people saying about this. For example, I was told that a recent Brad Pitt movie was terrible, yeah. not worth seeing, didn't do well at the box office, I watched it anyway, based on someone I know who said, no, they're all wrong. It's actually pretty good for what it yeah. is. I watched it and I was like, this is really good. Yeah. Was that Bold so Train? How do you guys, yeah. How do you guys, uh, <laughs> did you see it? Yeah, I watched it. I loved it. Yeah, I, it's great. It, was, it, it met all my expectations. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. Met your expectations. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't mm-hmm. a waste of your time, right? No. Yeah. So it's a good, fun movie. Yeah. I'm going to do the standard disclaimer here of like, we don't endorse any particular movies. Well, of course not. Obviously, because there's that thing of like, oh, wow, I heard Doug Stewart say that this is a really, really (laughs) good movie. And it was a little violent. Well, that's actually part of what we do in our roundup on movies is say, would you recommend this? And a lot of these movies is no. Yeah. I would not recommend this. And we even talk about the rating. Like, has yeah, like, would we change the would you change the rating? rating? What's the audience? For wow. Like okay. That? So we both have children. Like yeah. We both have kids and we're both thinking about the next generation and the yeah. people like, I'm actually the current youth pastor at my church. Yeah. At our church. Like we think about like, there's students that were watching more movies than I am even and something like, and I'm like, okay, like what exactly are you ingesting? Like, yeah. So like, so yeah, we think about the audience when we're watching is like, okay, like, is the message the movie's portraying look like, like a clockwork orange, for example. <laughs> we can't escape it. <laughs> like Target. there are some valuable topics in it. Yeah. But we both agree that all the topics and all the messages that they're proclaiming, all the truths that they're establishing can be explained in different ways just as valuable. And there's other movies that do it just as well without the content way. issues. Correct. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we don't necessarily critique them as far as like what 
Rotten Tomatoes would or like yeah. we're critiquing them on like, is there a value to your life when you yeah. watch this movie? But to get back to where your question was going as far as like when we're going to pick a movie, I evaluate a movie before I've seen it in the following order. Audience score, what my personal friends have said, and like almost in fourth place is critic score. I have zero value for critic score. Yeah. I hold it in similar esteem to I would like corporate media. Yeah. So. A great example, just for me personally, is like the new Ant-Man movie that came out. I mean, I love the Marvel movies. Okay, don't spoil it for me because I, I haven't gotten to see it yet. Well, I won't spoil it. <laughs> I, right, I, I, right. I won't spoil it. Yeah, no, I... Especially for newer movies, I hate spoilers. So I want actually. To- I'm gonna I'm gonna divulge a piece of information. This very well may be the first MCU movie since Black Panther. Okay. That I will just wait for streaming, not because mm. I don't expect it to be good, but my expectations aren't high anymore. Okay. Well, for Spider Man, I could keep my expectations fairly high because yeah. they consistently deliver there. But right, I share your MCU fatigue. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Is it because of what you've heard from critics? Nope, I haven't heard a darn thing about Ant-Man okay, from okay, critics. Okay, and that's what I was going to say then, is like, I don't understand, like, Ant-Man specifically is getting ripped apart by critics. And my wife and I, we're particular, like, there are some Marvel movies where, like, that wasn't great. Not a good job, MCU. But Ant-Man specifically, we don't understand why it's getting ripped apart. So, like, if you do look at the critics, it doesn't look great, but the movie itself, Jeff recommends, not the podcast, but Jeff, like, I, yeah, dude, this is not sponsored, <laughs> we're not, we're not, but, like, that's just one example of like, I disagree absolutely with the critics. Yeah. This is like that verse in, I forget which book of the Bible is Paul's like, this is not the Lord saying this. This is just me, right. Paul. Yeah. Right. Like, like, <laughs> I, I mean, and honestly, like, and there's no spoilers, but like, I mean, there's a lot of like, and I'm a new parent as well too. So like, so, and maybe that's one reason why I loved it because like, there's a lot of topics of a father and his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And just the aspect of fathering and, and the idea of watching them grow up and stuff like, I melted in my seat. I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. I'm experiencing this like with their new eyes and stuff like so that may be a reason as well. But You're also a softie though. I am I am. I cry <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. Um don't watch Toy Story Three. I, well <laughs> as a, Until as a parent. To Drifty, we're gonna get there. So yeah, no, I've I've seen I've seen that one. Toy Story Three rips you apart at the end. It's, I agree. It's, yeah, I agree. It's so good. Yep. Wow. We we are like talking about all kinds of stuff. I'm not even watching a time and we're having a good one. So I would love to know whether or not you think there is such a thing as a libertarian movie. And I don't mean like they tried to make Atlas Shrugged. I don't mean that. Oh, yeah. The, I tried to watch those. Those will I, never be in a top 250 <laughs> in any universe. Well, they couldn't. Th- those movies weren't good enough that they could keep the same cast from sequel to, tri- to Which movies? To tri- uh, Atlas, Atlas Shrugged, Shrugged, the Anne Rand book. Okay, I'm not familiar They turned with it into okay. a three-part movie, and okay. each movie, the cast changes. Okay. It's not good. So as far as a libertarian movie, I presuppose that all stories are fundamentally Christian stories. All stories resonate the gospel to some degree. Eyes wide shut. In fairness, I've not seen it. <laughs> you probably shouldn't. And that's one that Nelson and I both agreed will not will be a not will on our not watch. Yeah, it's also not on the top two fifty, so we yeah. never have to touch it. Yeah. So <laughs> given your critique of Clockwork Orange, which I haven't seen yeah. and I don't know, but, but based on what you just said recently, I would say Eyes Wide Shut is literally not worth your time and I wouldn't watch it. Knowing what the content is about. To clarify that statement a bit, Paul quoted in can't remember which of his epistles, but Paul quoted poetry of his day from what would have been considered a secular audience. Sure. So there is redeemable aspects of art. I, and I believe that, the, especially within the top 250, these stories that resonate so much with the human spirit, that all of these, to some degree, are going to not proclaim the gospel by any stretch, but have in them a specter, at least, 
of the gospel, right? So many of these stories are search for identity. And where do we truly find our identity? We find our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. Similarly, markets exist whether people want them to or not, right? And so anytime you have people making any kind of exchange, you have markets. And so all markets are by their very nature, to some degree, whether they're black, gray, or white markets, they're going to be end up being markets, right? And mm-hmm. I kind of see libertarianism the same way. Anytime you see anybody advocating for individual responsibility, individual choice, that's a libertarian message, even if it wasn't intended to be one. Yeah, I think a lot of times we expect Hollywood to inundate us with a message of some kind, right? And they are doing that. I mean, here's the thing about like worldview and critique and understanding philosophy is that like there are films out there that sort of have a driven message and some of them are preachy. We don't like those typically. I mean, unless it's on our side, of course, right? But even then we don't like them. You know, like a lot of the Christian movies. Right, we don't like the style. But then there's others that are, they're not preachy, but you realize that there is a wholesome message, a wholesome, like I would use Inside Out as an example of that. Yeah. Right, where it's not preachy, but you come away being changed And so it's not Hollywood pushing something, right, Mm -hmm. per se. It's not like, hey, I need to make a movie that makes people more sympathetic to racial inequality. Like that gets on the borderline of preachy unless done super well, right? Right. But there are movies that can do that. They can exactly do that. And my guess is that the filmmakers who are making it aren't making that the actual number one priority. I could be wrong about that. So when we think about a libertarian movie, do you think there are movies that can sort of espouse the libertarian outlook in more of a consistent, like, here's my message, free will and freedom to choose one's own adventure, as it were, are sort of critical ideas to self-empowerment and hero's journey. Can you think of any movies that kind of do that or succeed in it? I think it's less any one individual story and more a genre thing. Because like even within, so... uh What's the famous line from the Canadian professor? The medium is the message. And so even within a medium, within the medium of movies, you have sub-mediums of genres, right? And noir, for example, detective, those were kind of a rejection of liberalism. I was reading a book on this recently. Sci-fi tends to use a hypothetical to expose issues in the current environment. Fantasy tends to go towards the more optimistic, this is what could be. Mm-hmm. I think of those genres, you te- like, I know this is kind of going back to what I already said about libertarianism peaks through in all of them. I think of those fantasy tends to be the most libertarian leaning because it's very much an advocacy yeah. for the adventure, which is an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. So from his writings, we know Tolkien was, Tolkien called himself an anarchist and his writings to his son. So and you can definitely read libertarianism into Lord of the Rings. Do you have any preferred genres? Like if you just take away the film critic and you could only pick a genre to watch, what would it be for each of you? So the ones I watched the most, I'd have to say it'd be MCU. But if I had a preferred genre, like <laughs> what do I just purely enjoy? Like I could watch for hours would be like historical biopics. <laughs> Callback. <laughs> Like I love I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What did you just say? A historic what? Biopic? Biopic. A biopic. <laughs> biopic? Biopics. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I like I love learning about like whether I agree with some of the ways they did like like the his, the revolutionary war, 
the Civil War and just movies about Lincoln, movies about American, like just like I could watch those for hours. It's like if I had to pick a genre, like if I could only have one genre, if I lived on an island and now like I'd probably pick like historical, it doesn't necessarily have to be American history, but like I like historical biographies or Mm -hmm. just historical adjacent stories across any span of time. Yeah. Okay. For me, I love fantasy, but like I want a grand adventure. That's what I want. Lord of the Rings is huge to me. Treasure Island is huge to me. I want the author, the director, the writer to take me on an epic journey. That's what I really want in a story. And you can get that in a variety of genres, but I think it's most typical of fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not a lot of good fantasy movies. Yeah. No, you're right. There are not a lot of good ones. I go through phases. Right now, I'm into heist movies. Oh, yeah. Those are great. About a month ago, I rewatched the Ocean's Eleven trilogy, which... They're great. I honestly, I know people don't like some more than the others, but I think they're all great. They're all great. It's actually a series. There's Ocean's Eight. Yes, I do know that, and I haven't seen Ocean's Eight. <laughs> You're not missing much. Hey, yeah. I think Ocean's Eight was great. Like, I like, know, but... Compared it's... to, like, the female-led Ghostbusters, like, were that, like... Like, because <laughs> like, like, that was a little wacky. But you have, like, you the have female eight Ocean... beautiful women. That heist is 30 seconds. <laughs> they, oh, okay. they walk in, they distract the security guard, they take the stuff. <laughs> okay. I, but like, I just, I thought the cast, it was great. I mean, yeah. it's just like, I even liked Ocean Thieves. Like, I, I thought, yeah. I think no, that whole good. series is, yeah. Yeah. So I've been somehow finding myself watching either shows or limited yep. series or actual movies that are a little bit more action oriented and like kind of in the heist genre. I don't know if that's quite a genre, but it's an action movie with that sort of theme to yeah, it. They're good. Yeah. I've always enjoyed comedy. I like the epic adventure type stuff. Movies that deal with challenging topics, either directly or just by nature of the fact they're just good films and like, oh, wow, they're really dealing with with challenging topics. How many times have you watched a movie and you can tell me even ones that you've watched and thought this should have been like a seven episode limited series? Like one, I think sort of started the right way. And this was a long time ago was Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I didn't actually see all of it, but it seemed to me the Band of Brothers is one of the first, and again, maybe I'm just dating myself because that was around the time I got into all this, into film and watching television shows and all that. It's my earliest recollection of a like, we did a movie for 10 hours, but it was broken up into 10 sections, right? And so how many times have you actually watched a movie and thought, this should be like a seven episode Netflix run or something like that? It's a good question. I know that I've had that experience in a movie and I, I'm struggling to think of one. Far more often, it's the opposite where it's like it I'm three been episodes movie. in. I'm like, this should have been a single movie. Actually, here's an opposite that's within. So running the other way, The Hobbit, they turn into a trilogy, should have been two movies at most. At most two movies. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I, so there's one and I, it's young adult. Actually, I know Nelson, you just went through this book series too. The Percy Jackson series. Oh, yeah. Okay. They originally were doing movies. Yeah, that's actually a perfect one. They're doing, they're now doing that in yep. a series yep. format. And I think that's a, I think that's a great platform yeah, the, for that. the movie really suffered from trying to be so abridged. Yeah. So like, I, yeah, I think well, that's, that's, that's a most, challenge for all movies that are ad- yeah. adaptations, yeah. right? Absolutely. I haven't heard anything because this was pre-2020, pre-COVID. Netflix acquired Chronicles of Narnia rights. Mm. And their goal was to do between all seven books, either some movies and some miniseries. Mm. So telling the whole seven book story in a variety but, of different, but in a variety of different formats. 
I haven't heard anything since COVID hit. And yeah, and obviously they've got bigger fish on their platter as far as like Stranger Things and stuff like that. But like, yeah, that old chestnut, bigger like, fish on their platter. But, like, <laughs> but yeah, people say that, Nelson. <laughs> but like, so yeah, I just, I know, because I've read all the Narnia books and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like that's also another platform. Like where some of those books would definitely work better episodes versus yeah. movies. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, some of the older films were not books to begin with and so right and, but it seems like you guys are watching movies that are outside obviously the 250 because you're film people but yep. yeah what would be some of your favorite book to film adaptations well actually let me ask you this do you get discouraged when the movie doesn't follow the book what do you think of that so i try to let adaptations speak for themselves okay yeah that's kind of where i am yeah like i liked the hobbit trilogy i think it should have been just two Maybe one or two movies, but I like it. I know a lot of people didn't. I love Lord of the Rings adaptations, and I know that people have their gripes with it. Like, there's no Tom Bombadil, but you can't really work that well into a movie. So I try to let the adaptation speak for itself. Is this a good adaptation of the product? Like, do I still get the same feel of the characters, the yeah. same feel of the story? Does this touch the same points? Because there's just a, there's a lot of, like, when they turn a story into a musical, you know, a play into a musical, those mediums have different messages to them. Yeah. And so have yep. to be adapted appropriately. Yeah. There's a delicateness though to it though. Like, I mean, like, cause like there's a books like Harry Potter, Chronicles of Narnia, Lord yeah. of the Rings, like there is a reverence to them where I'm like, it, the books are great. Like, yeah. and I get you're interpreting it for on screen, but like at the same time, like, yeah, do what already worked. Don't change the story. Like, so for the Hobbit specifically, now Harry Potter didn't stray much from the books. They, yeah. Mostly they just omitted things. They didn't really change storylines yeah. much. But with The Hobbit, I like those three movies. Yeah. I do agree it should have been shorter. I just, they added storyline. And whether, I mean, they pulled from other works of Tolkien. So I mean, like, I get like, they just weren't making stuff up. Right. But like, they added storyline, not from the original Hobbit. And for me, like, whether it was relevant or not, like, it didn't need it. And hence, it could have been shorter. It's so like, I, I do enjoy the whole trilogy of The Hobbit, but like, I do feel like those were not liberties I would have taken. But sure. then again, I don't make movies. <laughs> so, going back to Lord of the Rings and, and the Middle Earth mythos, like, I've got a far bigger gripe with Rings of Power than I do with The Hobbit. Because at least The Hobbit... I haven't watched Rings of Power. You're yet. not missing anything. Don't do it. Save yourself. I will do it. <laughs> but I understand the frustration people have with adaptations, but for example, in a narrative form, it's completely appropriate to have paragraphs on paragraphs that are just description. Whereas in a movie, that's going to be a five second shot, right? And so you just can't adapt from word to picture the same way because a picture is worth a thousand words. <laughs> so sorry, that's such a stupid joke. Uh, but you're not wrong. Though. But well, an emotion picture is worth. Let's yeah. see, 20, 20. I'm going to do the math right off the top of my head, right? How, how many frames per second there, Doug? 24,000 per second. Yeah. So you just you just can't get the same amount of depth that you'll get from a book. Hi, everyone. This is Norman Horn. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may want to check out the others in the Christians for Liberty Network, such as my own Faith Seeking Freedom podcast, where I take listener-submitted questions about liberty and give brief but engaging answers that you can use and share. The Christians for Liberty Network is dedicated to bringing you content that you will love to learn from, and we appreciate your support. Now let's get back to the show, and I hope you check out the FSF podcast soon. So you said you like to give a little bit of deference to the create, you know, to creative. Yeah. 
I forget how you put it, but like creative liberty and like let it breathe a little bit on its own. Yeah. One thing that I often have noticed is in book adaptations that become films where the author is somewhat involved in the process. Michael Crichton did this with several of his movies that were in the 90s. Yeah. There were significant differences in the storylines or not the storylines, but like the events that got the story told in a certain way. Right. So I'll yeah. give an example. Really recent example is the, I don't know if you guys have seen the old Matilda with Danny DeVito. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. so it's a, good. It's a great movie. Love that movie. Okay. My daughter, two Christmases ago, so over a year, got the whole rolled doll set. And long before I realized he had terrible views. But <laughs> so I seriously just recently realized that he had, he was a pro-Nazi sympathizer. Anyway. Yeah. Surprised me too. All, I thought he just liked chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chocolate and weird people. No, yeah. he's just an amazing <laughs> author. Like he is. He captures a child's imagination. Totally. And I I absolutely love all the books that I read to my daughter, but we read Matilda three times last year. And then so we finally realized that there was a movie. We rented it. It's the one from like the 90s with Danny DeVito. And yeah. it follows the book pretty nicely. I mean, yeah. not everything. It's sort of the like omit because it needs to be abridged kind right. of thing. Yeah. Now Netflix redid it in December of 2022. Mm-hmm. It's a musical. Mm-hmm. It's a little darker. It is just as good. It is not the same feel and tone of the book, mm-hmm. but the first movie was. But the ending was very, very interesting. My daughter, who read the book, she's like, I didn't like it because it was a different story. And I was like, we had to talk through it a little bit. And I said, no, they got to the same place. They mm-hmm. did it in a wow. different way. You had to get the feeling that the Trunchbull, who was the headmaster, that's her name, if anybody hasn't seen a Red Matilda, they're going to be like, what? Anyway, <laughs> you had to understand that she was a bad person and needed to be put in her place. And some of the things that Matilda didn't do in the book or didn't do in the first movie did do in the second movie. And it does feel different. But mm-hmm. if you've ever watched Matilda or seen it or read it or read it three times with your daughter, <laughs> you just are so mad and you just want somebody to stand up to this bully who's the yeah, principal, yeah. the headmaster. And in the third movie, she finally does. And so there's a feeling of, there's this like... More closure. There's a little bit of closure. There's a little bit of celebration there. You're like, finally, someone's standing up to this bully. And if you think about the times that we are in, standing up to bullies is a good thing, almost always. But like, people are standing up to those who have too much power and are abusing it. In the 90s, that wasn't a message they were trying to tell. And so there was that artistic liberty. Not only that, it was a musical. So they clearly were going to take more liberties with it. Of course. But it worked really well. And, you know, the next day my daughter watched it again. I mean, it's on Netflix. So she gets to watch it over and over if she wants. So the other thing, this is a way less important thing, is I saw the trailer for The Martian with Matt Damon. Yeah. Years ago. I saw the trailer and I'm like... I'm always into like space stuff. Like on the other side of my screen here, I have a picture, the Earthrise picture from the moon. And I have, yeah, so, and I have a little spaceman that my wife got me for Christmas that's sitting on my desk. I watched the trailer for The Martian and then in the trailer, it's like based on the popular book by, is it Andy Weir? Yeah, Andy Weir. I have it over there on my shelf. I ordered the book right away. I read the book in a day and a half because it was that (laughs) freaking good. And then I went, and then the movie came out like a few weeks later or like a month later or whatever it was. And there's this part in the book where he wants to do the Iron Man thing at the end to get rescued by like putting a pin. I I am going to spoil this here (laughs) where he puts a pin in his spacesuit to then use thrust with the air that's escaping his spacesuit to use thrust to like get him to the spaceship that's going to be 300 meters too far away as it's orbiting Mars. In the book, he doesn't do that. 
Right. In the movie, he does. And I thought that was really, really cool because I'm like, I was a little not disappointed, but I was kind of like, I oh, didn't get to do the Iron Man thing. Okay. Andy, we just used it as a joke about it and whatever. But like in the movie, they got to do it. So I often will see that movies get to do somewhat alternate storylines that honestly, I bet you the author thought of. Sure. And actually with that, The Martian, the movie is an adaptation of the book, which is an adaptation of the webcomic. Right. So they took <laughs> That's that. That's true. Andy Weir wrote this long webcomic based on what he was seeing happening. Was it a comic or was it just a series? I don't think it was a comic. Was I may it? be misremembering. I thought it was webcomic. It might be just a web series. I think it was just a series and he was writing and people were giving him feedback as he serialized it. Yeah. That's right. So even the book is actually an, a bridges places, right? Because it's an adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like not everything is going to make the cutting room floor. Another great example of this is with Game of Thrones. The first seven seasons are based on the books and they take a lot of liberties. Just different mediums call for different approaches. Yeah. And in other cases, it's that the author sees a better approach for a different medium. A really great example of that right now is the Wingfeather Saga, four-part book series for kids. Can't recommend it strongly enough. An Angel video is adapting it to a TV series. And the author is very involved. And we're reading the books with our kids, watching the show with our kids. And my kids are commenting on all the differences between the first book yeah. and the first season. Yeah. They put all kinds of different things up in a totally different order and omitted some things entirely, added things that weren't in the book. And it's not worse. It's not better. It's different. And it's, in my opinion, equally good. But just different mediums require different yeah. approaches. Yeah. Yeah. We now have this streaming phenomenon, which I largely view as a major plus in storytelling. Now, I realize that there are different challenges with how do you get a film out there, distribution challenges, right? Mm -hmm. You can, I would say, for people who are wanting to make films, you have a different path if you're going to try to make a limited run series. And so I've largely seen the like six, seven to 10 episode, like one season movie. I'm going to call yeah. it quote unquote movie, right? Because people make fun of the MCU as a 60 hour <laughs> movie. But anyway, I largely see that as progress in storytelling and so much so that I don't go to theaters as much. And not because I have streaming and like streaming itself has supplanted movies. Right. But that, I mean, honestly, I don't know if you guys have seen Kaleidoscope on Netflix. Not yet. But it would not have worked as a movie. First of all, the concept is different because you can watch everything but except the last episode. You can watch it in any order. Right. Because it jumps around in time and it, you're, it's kind of supposed to let you, you're supposed to want to try to do it that way. And I'm watching it a second time with my wife in a different order. But like, there's only so much that can be said in a two to two and a half hour movie. James right. Cameron can't even say everything in the time he take, makes his movies, right? And so you get seven to eight hours to tell a story in chunks that more people have the opportunity to digest. Like people can mm -hmm. sit down and do 45 minutes, right? Or even, or even one hour, right? Yeah. And they can do it. And I know House of Cards did the whole like binge watching dump, right? That kind right. of thing where it's like, hey, we're just going to put them all out. And then like mid-afternoon, everybody's writing reviews on it on the whole <laughs> on the whole season. But all that to say, I think it's a plus for storytelling. I almost want to say it's superior in the sense that it's superior as a viewer. Yeah. In my experience. I'm just beyond pleased that I have the ability to like enjoy either a franchise and I don't mean multi-season, like just mm -hmm. enjoy a friend, like, like kaleidoscope, right? It's probably yeah. not going to have a season two. It is just a uh, eight hour movie, right? What do you guys think? I would say there's two that I think there's always going to be an exception. Like 
for instance, like you mentioned Andor earlier on, like that is a great, no spoilers, but like that is a great series that like they couldn't do in a movie the way they told the story, the way they took the time to break characters down. And I thought it was beautiful. The one thing I bet it's just a personal Jeff preference. I love the weekly episode release. It's like, I love, like, I'm full, I'm okay with, like, because my wife and I usually go back and rewatch something, if they're, especially if there's, like, right, a sequel Right, so you can binge out. those, yeah. Right. But, like, but as far as, like, I love that anticipation of, like, oh, wow, that was a cliffhanger. What's going to, like, like, you don't, with the binging format, you don't get many cliffhangers. Like, you just get one, and it's at the end of the season versus one at the end of every episode. <laughs> it's like, I missed that format growing up. My parents watched a lot of TV growing up and stuff. So, like, we'd watch, like, CSI, we'd watch Dom Law and Order, yeah, we'd watch... Yeah. ER and all these things like where I'll find out what happens in one week. Like I missed that. And so like, I really like that some of these shows are still doing that. That's the only thing that I prefer. But then again, I do enjoy going through it again a second time and not having to wait. But I think there's a, well, and you can also place for all those. You can also wait until the season is out. I mean, like you can do that depending on where, where you are on things. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, if you're disciplined or if you have some shows lined up, or yeah. movies that you're yeah, kind of I going through. I just finished Andor. So, like, I mean, that came out before Christmas. And yeah. My, I mean, you know, it just... I have yet to start. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, for me, that was that's probably the first show on Disney Plus that, like, we waited this long to watch. And I'm kind of regretting now because it was great. Yeah. So, you positioned well, I think, the advantages that long-form storytelling has over movies. But also, with the advent of streaming, there's some advantages over traditional television and appointment television, which is that the pacing can be whatever the creator wants it to be. So you have episodes that are 30 minutes followed by an episode that's an hour. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what that yep. episode yep. requires. Yeah. And I think that... I love it. The pacing is so much of how well executed a story is. And that's had a really huge impact, I think, in the yeah. quality of storytelling. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Guys, this has been really fun. I want to do a quick lightning round. And okay. initially it was going to be a little different, but we had so much fun talking about this other stuff. That'd be <laughs> great. So I'm going to give you a handful of movies that I really, really like. I was thinking, oh man, I'll, I'll do a top 10 and you can guys can critique my top 10 because I don't have a top 250. I don't know if I've seen 250 movies total. <laughs> Same here. That's actually a joke that we make almost every episode. Yeah. What's that? What's your top 250 movies go? <laughs> What's your top 250 movies go? <laughs> I am going to tell you that the first one I'm going to list is my favorite movie and will probably always be my favorite movie. And it's okay. You can give me your honest opinion. I'm going to give yeah. you be a zero to 10 rating. All right. So I'll just go through them. You can each give me your ratings. Jurassic Park. The original, the first one. Oh, absolutely. The original. No, don't, don't. Zero to 10, I'd say seven for me. Seven. Like it's a good, I, it stands the test of time. So I didn't see it till I was an adult. So I have none of the nostalgia factor. So I gave it like a four or five. I think it's got incredible animatronics. The CGI does not hold up. And it's a, we've touched on adaptations before. It's a terrible adaptation of the novel, in my opinion. Right, The Lost World. It's a (laughs) very enjoyable movie. I give it, I don't know, I think four or five was too low. I I give it a six, six and a half. Yeah, all right. It's a good movie. Fight Club. I'd probably give that a nine. No comment. I've seen it once and I don't remember any of it except like for the big spoiler. So like, I can't, I don't remember if I liked it or not. I don't remember. It's weird. It's such a weird movie. I love yeah. Edward Norton. I love Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Yeah. But like, I can't remember my feelings about it. So I, I'll have to. Yeah. Okay. Also another example of a bad adaptation actually. That's a book uh, too? Yeah. I have, yeah, it is. I haven't read the book And though. so often the bad adaptations are like great movies. Some of the best movies are terrible adaptations. So, 
Yeah. I, I think right. people put too much weight on staying true to the story. All right. Top Gun Maverick. I went and saw that with my dad over the summer while I was still in theaters. I had just watched Theaters of War, the documentary talking about government involvement in movie production. And so you have like I an was anti-nostalgia factor going on there, oh, man. <laughs> I was so jaded watching that movie that I just kept turning to my dad I'm like, you do realize blah, 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 blah. And my dad's just like, yeah, it's a fun movie. Watch it. <laughs> I had the expectations that it would be a little bit too rah-rah military. And I didn't come away thinking that it was. It was less than Top Gun, which had recruiting stations outside cinemas as theaters let out. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I give that movie an eight. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. But watch Theaters of War after it, not before it. You'll just be too jaded. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet. I was supposed to go watch it with my fam in the theaters, and then just it didn't happen. So I'm one for three right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Do you guys have any decent movie systems at home? Surround sound, anything like that? I do not, actually. Find somebody before you watch Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, and that's what I've been doing. I've got, I've got yeah. a person. Yeah, I've got, I've got a connection with a big screen TV and surround sound. Yeah. I think you live about four hours from me. I think you live about four hours from me. You're welcome to come visit. <laughs> I'll take you up on Careful, that. Careful, yeah. we'll take you up on that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Next one. And this is one that I saw in theaters and I walked out thinking, how on earth is this a kid's movie, Inside Out? Yeah. So actually, if you go back and listen to our episode on this, I went into this movie not liking it. It's a movie I saw before we did our podcast episode on it. I didn't like it then. I still don't like it, but I appreciate it more. I wow. think that the overall message of it is too disempowering to a child on their ability to... Control their emotions. Yeah, to control their emotions and their responsibility to do so. I was the opposite. I loved it. I loved the movie when it came out. And after rewatching it, loved it. Even when I was analyzing it, but I did cherish our conversation about the movie. We had a guest on, it was a mother. She was our first female guest. And so she had a different perspective. And so I appreciate the conversation. It opened my eyes to some of the topics that I wasn't, I didn't see when watching it. Yeah. But like, it didn't ruin the movie for me. It was just like, oh yeah, I guess I would want to discuss that mm-hmm. concept with my child after watching it. But like, yeah. I still love it. I think the animation is beautiful. I think the characters are funny. The music's great. Like, it's a funny, very, and for entertainment purposes, I was entertained and I like that movie. I give it a three and a half out of ten. So, for me, would be seven or eight. Wow. I'm terrible, by the way, at uh, facilitating lightning rounds. <laughs> no, this is this is good. I like this. I did one earlier today for an episode that, uh, actually, the previous episode that, from the one we're listening doing right now, and it wasn't lightning at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Interstellar. Oh, that's another heady movie where it takes a couple. Nolan. Yeah, Jeff loves Christopher Nolan movies, so it automatically gets a nine and a half for him. <laughs> it's up there, though. Yeah, it is it is an excellent movie. It's a beautiful movie. It just some complex emotional as well as like thought-provoking scientific themes. I mean, even spiritual. There's spiritual themes yeah. in there of like, yeah. you know, what does generational love look like? And what, yeah. you know, just, yeah, it's... What um, does time dilation look like? Yeah. It's got all of it. I, I mean, in... Just for the aspect of this interview and this conversation, unless there's more Christopher Nolan on your list, this would be a number 10 for me. Like, I'd give it 10 out of 10. That movie specifically with Hans Zimmer on the composing of the music, the casting, Anne Hathaway, like, just the movie is beautiful in so many ways. Like, I give it an 8. I love them. Yeah. It's not my number it's up one there movie, for me. but it's up there for me. Yeah. yeah. Did Nolan do Tenet? Yes. Yeah. Haven't seen it, but I hear that the audio mixing is terrible. I disagree. 
Um, I don't remember. Oh, I watched it on an airplane with headphones with AirPods. So like, uh, that would be a little wacky. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to evaluate it. In my opinion, it's not one of like the top three for him, but like I liked, it's a whole movie of time moving in two different ways. So like you're seeing, you're watching a story play out from one, you're, you're watching it from point A and one, you're watching it like, well, I guess like I'm from point Z and you're watching how the stories meet in the middle and then like, and they cross and they go like, like it's a very interesting story. Ludwig can never say his name right. This was the first movie that Christopher Nolan did with a different composer, but the music I thought and the sound I thought was great. I saw that one in theaters as well. So like, I didn't have any issues with it. I like it. For me, that would be eight out of 10 when it comes to Nolan movies. No, I thought it was good. I I felt like I did leave thinking I didn't catch that and I don't know if I want to watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) Not because I didn't like it. Like, I actually am like, yeah, it was probably seven or an eight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that movie. All right. Next movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I love Jim Carrey. I appreciate what he was trying to do in branching out and doing a drama. I think the movie handles some very interesting themes, but I don't think it's a very good movie. I think it's wildly overrated. Okay. Jeff? I've never seen it because... <laughs> I keep asking you guys movies you haven't seen. No, 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 Jeff. no, no. Top 250 no, and we'll definitely I, get to that one. Yeah, it's... I've liked it. I had this conversation all the time. Like, people are like, well, okay, you're a movie buff. Have you seen this movie? But like, <laughs> there's a lot of big movies out there I've never seen and I, I'm I'm aware of the hypocriticalness of... I, I get... So, so no, no, these are great questions and these... You now have a new excuse. You're a parent. Right. Yeah, we also don't bill ourselves as experts on movies. We're movie sure. likers. This movie specifically, though, I love Jim Carrey. And I'm scared to watch him in a non-comedy movie. Like, the closest thing I've come to for me is Truman Show. Yeah. But even in that, okay. he's still a little angsty. So yeah. like, I, He's I, funny in that. He is funny. There's, yeah. It's like, so I don't know. And I've intentionally avoided it just because, like, I don't know if I want to see this side of Jim Carrey. Yeah. Mm, so I see. So, yeah. So, yeah like, so I, I like what the movie was doing. Just don't really care for the movie. Yeah. All right. So just the numbers from here on. Okay. I got I got a bunch more here. We'll just talk for another hour. Goodwill hunting. Ooh, it's not your fault. Eight and a half. Seven. That was good. Forrest Gump. Oh, nine and a half. Easy. Love it. Six. <laughs> oh man. It gets dry in parts. But he runs so long. He does. <laughs> he does. I love Tom Hanks is great, but it just gets it gets dry in moments. Uh. He gave us really good memes. Oh, such good <laughs> memes. My wife's name is Jen, and she hates being called Jenny, but will accept it when I'm doing the I love you, Jenny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Another Tom Hanks movie, Saving Private Ryan. It's an eight and a half or a nine. That's a great movie. It's been too long since I've seen it, and I have such controversial opinions about World sure. Harbor. Oh. <laughs> and so uh, it taints my opinion of the movie. I'd say probably seven. Okay. Twelve Angry Men. Oh, I've not seen it. I've eight and a half. It's, 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 nine. It's, yeah. It's good. It's great. It does not sound like a movie that would be good. And it is. Mm-hmm. It's in the top two fifty. It's actually in the top ten, I yeah. believe, of the top two fifty. It's a very well it's, yeah. it's a very well respected movie. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't it get a remake recently. Twelve Angry Women. I don't know. It's a Netflix <laughs> that's the Netflix adaptation. Twelve Angry They. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Last movie. It's very recent and it probably did make my top 10, probably for nostalgia reasons more so than, well, I wouldn't say it's only that, but The Fablemans. I don't think I've seen that. I have not watched it. It's fairly recent, isn't it? Uh, yeah. No, it's yeah. like 
let's see, we're recording in March of 2023. It was released in November or December. Yeah. yeah no, I think I have. I've seen a lot of. It's Spielberg's yeah. movie that's, that is very much about his childhood from like, I think age eight to like 18 or something like yeah. that. Uh, so, I didn't so basically about. about a decade of his life up through the end of high school. And there's a little bit of him in college. Okay. I need to watch this. It was on my radar, but I missed it. And it's not directly. I mean, it's not like the kid's right. name is Steven Spielberg right. in the movie. It's not that at all, but he makes a film about him, about a, a kid. John into Carlos being, Fableman. I've seen a lot of chatter <laughs> about it, but I have not watched that one yet. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Where can our listeners find your podcast? I'm assuming on most of the podcatchers that are out there. What's your release schedule look like? Every two weeks on a Monday. And we're hoping to, in the not too distant future, roll out to weekly. Yeah. As our schedules allow. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. At Silver Screen Biases. Yeah. We will be increasing activity on those. We'll send you links for that. Doug. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. We'll put those in the show notes. Jeff Nelson, thank you for joining us. This is this a pleasure. fantastic. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Not a problem, man. We'll talk again, I'm sure. Yes. That'd be awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. 